Welcome to Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. Here's your host, Ben Wilson. Well, and welcome to another episode of Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. I'm your host, Ben Wilson, and my co-host Rodney's here by my side at my feet as usual. I'm really excited to have my good buddy, Dr. Matt Harris, on today's show to talk about his thriving chiropractic and wellness clinic in Franklin, Tennessee, just outside of Nashville, and give us some tips on how we can live life well. Matt and I have been friends for over 20 years after becoming friends in college at Murray State University. Matt was a member of many successful OVC Championship Murray State Racer basketball teams, and in college, he and I had numerous talks and debates about Murray State, University of Kentucky, and Tennessee basketball. So upon graduating from Murray State, Matt went to the prestigious Life University in Atlanta, then becoming Dr. Harris and beginning a successful chiropractic practice that has been in operation for over 15 years and received numerous accolades, including five-star reviews on Google and all of the other sites I checked, which is great. You can learn more about Dr. Harris's practice at www.berryfarmschiropractic.com, and Barry is spelled B-E-R-R-Y, so that's berryfarmschiropractic.com, and you can also find him on YouTube with great videos at Barry Farms Chiropractic. So please welcome Dr. Matt Harris to Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. Doctor, thanks for coming on. Ben and Rodney, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And I'm glad Rodney stayed up for this interview because, yeah. you know, and some of the other shows I've listened to, it, it seemed like he was taking a nap or, you know, he was living the dream. Well, you know, when you're a bulldog and you sleep and you have an owner that's a lawyer and you end up sleeping about 12 to 15 hours a day, you can stay up late night. If stay you up to. a little later. Oh, yeah. That's great. That's great. Well, first of all, Ben, thanks, Ben and Rodney, thanks for having me on. I've really enjoyed your whole theme of living the dream and just your range of guests and so many different aspects and just hearing your story. I mean, I've known you for a long time. So just when I heard your initial episode and just your whole history and, and remembering all those times at Murray State and then Obviously, I was not surprised when Jamal Mashburn was your first official guest. Yeah, no, that, that was a big deal. And, of course, you know I'm a huge Kentucky Wildcat fan, so to, to have one of the greats on there is was a dream oh, and he, I so enjoyed his interview. I mean, he was just terrific. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things I wanted to have for the theme of the show is, you know, a lot of times people think athletes are just athletes, and you've got people like Jamal, and I've got a Derek Anderson, who was recently on the show, former UK guy and NBA guy, and, you know, yourself, a former college athlete as well, where a lot of these athletes have turned into really successful business people, and they, they can speak eloquently on the things that they've learned and give good tips on how people can live their dream and be a success in business besides just the fun stuff like sports. Anyone that knows you or has listened to you knows that you are a big sports guy. And one of the things that, and I think this relates to the theme of your whole show, is athletics can be a great training ground for life, okay? Because life, like athletics, is made up of seasons. And there are some seasons where you win championships and some seasons where you get your butt kicked. But really the measure of a true champion is how you handle each of those seasons. And you see that in those guys. And, and it's those skills that they've learned 
that has helped them achieve success off the court, you know, if they learn those lessons. Right. You know, and that doesn't mean that you, they, you don't have a season of difficulty. And we can talk about that because I have those lessons too. But it's those roots, those foundations, those principles that you learn in athletics. Or, and, and it's not just in athletics. It's in the arts as well that teach you that perseverance and finding your true self. And, you know, what is it that helps you to live the dream? The other thing with athletics, when you get to a high level like that, it teaches you a lot of things because a lot of times when you're going, let's say, from high school basketball to college basketball and then to the NBA, you go from at one level being the man uh, or the woman and you're the big scorer, the big focal point. And you go to college and you're like, well, you're still a good player, but you're in a certain role and you've got to be willing to accept that role. And some people who aren't able to accept that role, they don't function in the the team concept and and that's really how life is too because my story I mean I grew up in western Kentucky like and you grew up in Union City Tennessee which you know was just across the state line from where my grandparents lived in South Grace County but you know when you go from a small town to a big city it's a huge change too and you've got to be able like in sports to pivot kind of know your role how to adapt and if you don't adapt you're not going to make it and and that so even the case in business, I think of how things were done back when I was in college, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, we had email, but it's not like it is now and all the technology no. and stuff. And it's like if you're in business and you don't adapt, you don't make it. And no. that's how it is in sports. Well, and it's funny that you say that you were talking about our chiropractic practice and being in healthcare. And the number one thing that I try to help everyone appreciate is if I have to define health in one word, it's adaptability. Mm-hmm. There are principles that guide life, right? And a principle is a principle. It, it's a fundamental truth, meaning it transcends different aspects of life. So let's talk about why do most people want to be wealthy, right? Yeah, a lot of times well, it's for status symbol they think okay well if i have this i'm gonna get you know more respect for from people i'm gonna get the right husband or wife or whatever and a lot of people just they want to be the best at everything right well and that's part of it that's true for a lot of you know that and and that's the surface stuff you see but for people that are truly trying to build wealth they're not interested in buying a lamborghini not that they, not that those aren't things that they can enjoy, but they want to know that they have the resources that they can adapt to whatever life may present. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's the same with our health. Right. Is how do we build those resources within our body? How do we support it? So whatever obstacles it face, it has the best chance of overcoming those obstacles. Just like what you're talking about in business. How do you create a business model where it's adaptable to the marketplace? Mm Because otherwise, you're right. You're in trouble. Yeah. And, you know, I I was checking out some of your videos on YouTube with Berry Farms Chiropractic, and you got a lot of exciting stuff going on, and it's more than just the the chiropractic aspect of it. It's this overall health and wellness. But, you know, 
just talk about your practice in chiropractic and the overall health part of it because a lot of times people think, okay, well, I want to go to a chiropractor if I've got a bad back or if I've got a sore neck. And it's really evolved to a lot more than that. Give some insight on that. No, it, it's a great point. And I think the evolution has not just been that because chiropractic is the same as it's always been. It hasn't changed. But what's evolved has been our understanding of health and well-being, just like you and I are talking about. So one of the first things that I try to help everyone that I get to work with and speak with appreciate, and I constantly have to remind myself of this, Ben, because this is not how we're taught to think about things, but is to appreciate that most of the issues that they deal with, whether we're talking about headaches, neck pain, back pain, or even those really concerning things like cancer and heart disease and diabetes is that most of these issues are not as much the problem as they are the result of the problem. And what the problem is, is how our bodies can become placed in a more compromised state as they're trying to manage those physical, chemical, and mental, emotional stresses and traumas of our life. Or as your body's trying to handle everything that's being required of it, things can start to get out of balance. All right. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, that your body's compromised. And and, and let's back this up a minute. When I say stresses and traumas, everyone thinks bad things. Stress is simply anything that forces your body to change. Exercise is a great thing, but it's a stressor. It forces change on the body. Growing and birthing a human. Right. It's a great thing, but it forces a lot of change. But just like we talked about earlier, if your body's placed in a state where now it's not adapting to those changes effectively, we got a problem. Okay. Now, the biggest challenge with that is we were always taught to judge that by what we feel. And only 10% of our body has anything to do with feeling. 90% of our body, we don't feel. That's why those major things we're concerned with, like cancer and heart disease and diabetes, you don't feel those things. And if you do, I'm from West Tennessee. It ain't good, right? Mm -hmm. But it's also the same reason that people call me every week and they say, man, I I don't know what happened. I just been down to pick up my keys and I I hadn't got out of bed for two days. Well, picking up their keys didn't do it. They had issues that were gradually building until finally it reached that tipping point. Okay. And that's because the second thing that's compromised are the body's mechanics. Many things are out of alignment. They're not moving right. Well, that's no different than your car being out of alignment and it's not driving right. Right. What happens to the tires? They fall off. They wear out faster. Right. So guess what happens in the body? Yeah, it's the same, same thing. Same principles apply. Only in the body, we call that wear and tear things like osteoarthritis, degeneration, arthritic spurring, disc problems, stenosis. All these different things you'll hear people experiencing, they all simply mean wear and tear. Mm-hmm. That's why I try not to use those terms with everybody because we're just trained that when we hear those terms, our minds go to things like, well, I'm getting older, you know, or my mom had these issues. Now I've got these issues. And that's why whenever we have x-rays or MRIs with patients and we're seeing areas that show that type of damage, I try to draw their attention to the other areas that still look healthy or look healthier because I want us to appreciate they're all the same age. They've all got the same mom. You know, why are some areas making those types of changes and others aren't? And it's because it's showing us how they've been compromised for a long time. It takes years for those changes to develop. Yeah. I know at least in my line of work, being a lawyer, I mean, 
unfortunately, I'm in front of a computer constantly, and I'm trying to to stand up and with my stand up desk as much as I can, but I have to sit quite a bit, and you know sometimes I don't stretch as much as I need to before I play games and softball and stuff like that. It makes a huge difference. If my hamstrings are tight, then my lower back is tight, and then my neck gets tight, and like I'm having to stretch like all the time, and I feel like. You know, I feel all right and everything, but it's like once I turn 40, it's like I'm having to stretch for a good 30 minutes in the morning just to, you know, make sure I'd be preventative on things like that. And yeah, uh, because motion is a key to life. It doesn't matter if we're talking about a body of water or your physical body. If it becomes stagnant, it's dying. Mm-hmm. And just what you're talking about, technology today is a major repetitive trauma. We think about the major physical traumas like a car accident or a fall. But the repetitive traumas, they produce the same results. They're just a slower process. So going back, you talked about some of our videos and different things that we're, that we're working on and, and really trying to position ourselves as a, as a resource for, of information for people is to help give an appreciation for those ways to better support ourselves outside of here, okay, outside of what we do in our office, and how do we you know, work to reduce and eliminate the stresses in our life that we can control so now our body can better manage the things that we can't control? You know, those are the things that are going to help us to be healthy for the long time. That's the reason why we have a health care crisis in this country and it's so expensive because we've always tried to treat disease. We thought years ago we found the cures for problems. We didn't find the cures. We found the cover-ups. We found ways to manage symptoms However, those underlying issues that created those problems to begin with were continuing to worsen, and the next management had to get more severe and more severe and more severe. Not that we don't need that aspect of our health care. Number one, we need that emergency care. We're number one in the world for emergency care, right? Mm-hmm. But for general health and well-being, we are like last of industrialized nations. Like we are, you know, we have a poor quality of life overall. Okay, Mm -hmm. for the resources that we have. And that's because the next part that we've got to add to help change this healthcare system and to solve this problem is how do we focus on building health? And and that's not just about going to the chiropractor, but it's about understanding, you know, what our how our bodies respond, what our weaknesses are. And we all have them. Our, Our bodies are all we all have certain patterns and things that we default to. You know, sometimes people will ask me, well, Matt, why do I always get these headaches? Or, you know, I'll do better, and then now I start having problems again. If I haven't been doing the things I need to, whether it's come to see me or things they do outside of here, or why is it always this right hip? And I like to describe that part of our humanness is we default to our weaknesses, okay? So if Oreo cookies are a weakness and life happens, what do we tend to default to? Oreo cookie. Oreo cookies. Well, our bodies are kind of the same way. We all have different areas of damage or certain patterns that are, as our bodies push beyond what it's managing effectively, physically, chemically, emotionally, guess where it's going to be impacted first? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's why you can have that guy that injured his knee playing football in high school, and now he can tell you every time it's going to rain. Right. Because that tissue has been damaged. It's been compromised. And now you have those sudden changes in temperature and moisture and pressure. 
going back to that word adaptability, it's not adapting effectively. It's more sensitive to those changes. We grew up active playing sports all the time. And it seems like a lot of my friends, they stay very active by going to the gym where, you know, my parents' generation really wasn't as active in that and outdoor doing marathons or bike riding and stuff like that. I guess the negative of that is when you're doing that, you're putting more stress on and the stretching and the flexibility becomes even more important. Right, exactly. You know, those things that you do become even more important. And I think we got to look at a couple of things here. When we look at our grandparents, right, they lived active outdoor lifestyles. Mm -hmm. We came from rural areas. They were farmers. They were, I mean, they were active. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we transition into our parents who are baby boomers. And we know about baby boomers. They, they are a huge force and talk about forcing a lot of change. They force a lot of change in every aspect of their life. Well, then they entered a new type of work and lifestyle that wasn't as active. And at a time when our foods and nutrition's drastically changed. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, now we moved into a more processed, refined diet, you know, that we know today. And then we started to see the effects of it. And then they started to push another type of change because they started seeing, you know, that the decline of their parents health, because now their parents were living longer than, you know, people had before and starting to see some of the effects of, you know, how our lifestyles were changing and now they gave birth to industries like bottled water and supplements and exercise facilities because now they were like, you, you know, we, how do we keep from getting sick? Or, you know, I haven't been taking care of myself. Now I'm reacting to try to figure out how to make myself healthier. And I think our generation is, has seen that and we're saying, okay, we've got to learn to be happy, healthy and active all the way and not wait till we get into the danger zone and then say, okay, how do I try to get it back? Yeah. Yeah. Cause like back issues or something like my grandfather, he always had like a lower back tightness and things like that. And he had to have disc replacement surgeries and I mean, just difficult stuff. And I remember a friend of mine from high school and elementary school, she was actually his physical therapist. And, and I was like, you know, could he have like prevented a lot of this with more stretching and the hamstrings and stuff? Because my grandfather was the kind of guy, he got up, went to work, you know, worked up in his shop, all that stuff. He didn't go to the gym or, I mean, he would never go to yoga. He would never, as right. a as a guy born in the, in the 30s, he would never go to yoga. Right, right, uh, right. Whereas now, you know, I think it's a great idea to go to yoga because right. of the stretching. But she was saying, yeah, you know, the t- hamstring tightness, the lack of flexibility and that sedentary lifestyle of if you retire, you know, if you're not out active and you're watching TV and stuff, your your muscles just, they change. You have atrophy, you have the just the stiffness build up and, and it's hard to get that back. And I'm going to take that even a step further, Ben, in helping to understand, just like you were talking about him working in his shop, right? Mm-hmm. Man, just being on concrete, that's a repetitive trauma, creating a lot of compression on that spine. And while the exercises and stretches and all are vital, they're super important. As a chiropractor, I'm trying to keep people focused also on movement and balance and structure and that relationship between, like, lots of times people ask me, they're like, man, is it a bone problem? Is it a nerve problem? Is it a muscle problem? 
Yes, it's that relationship of all these things. You know, there's a reason why those hamstrings are tight, and it's usually because of imbalances in that pelvis. The pelvis takes a lot of stress from how we sit and ride in cars, stand on concrete floors. So as that system's out of balance, then those hip flexors, you know, the IT bands, uh, the hamstrings, all that's responding to that. Mm -hmm. So while the stretches and things are great, if mechanically and neurologically we're able to go in there and help those areas to function and move better and help that relationship to be better of, of all those things that are working together, now you introduce those things, they become that much more beneficial. Mm-hmm. I had a guy coming in recently he had a frozen shoulder and I was doing some things to help his, to adjust his neck. Cause it's not just the shoulder, it's the neck, it's the mid back, it's the ribs, it's the scapula. And we were doing some things. And after I adjusted, he's like, Oh my gosh, I can move my arm. I said, now, which way is your PT going to be the most effective? Like it was before when you couldn't move it or now that it is moving and you go and introduce that PT which way is going to give you the best benefit? Yeah. You know, another thing, just talking about how technology has changed in the workplace and everything. As a chiropractor, are you seeing more and more people come to you with neck problems? Because oh. like when you're in front of the computer, I know your posture is not what it should be. You're probably leaning forward. And with the cell phones, I mean... I'll tell you where it's the worst, Ben. It's with our young people. Yeah. Looking, like walking, looking people, down. Now, they won't have the damage yet, but this I do this all the time. Okay, I have them in all the time. And the first thing I do, I'll have x-rays of their neck and I will pull up. I have a huge, like 65 inch screen TV. So we sit here so everybody can see, you know, what their findings are and what we're looking at. Because I want people to have a clear understanding because they can come in. I can adjust them a few times and things feel better. But if we do that and they go right back to the same life that got them here, I'm just a feel good experience. Mm-hmm. Which is which is fine. However, if they can have a better understanding of what's going on with their body, how their body default, uh, you know, tends to default to certain patterns, and can better support themselves outside of here, then I feel like I've been much more effective in what I'm hoping to accomplish. So I'll put up a normal X-ray of a neck, and I'll show the young person and their parent what we should normally see and why we should see it. Why there's certain mechanical responses that should be going on because of that then i will move that aside and they will see their x-ray and it looks totally different now there's not damage there yet okay Mm -hmm. but just them understanding mechanically how that spine should function and i'm like what looks different about that x-ray and they're like nothing looks right okay then i will pull up the x-ray report from the radiologist okay that says everything on that x-ray is normal. And the reason why I do that is because I want them to appreciate that when their radiologist or their physician is looking at that x-ray, they're looking at what's diseased or broken. And if nothing's diseased or broken, then everything's okay. However, when they can start to understand mechanically what's going on there, then they can say, see how this is not right. And if that continues, then 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, now that I'm going to get that laundry list on that x-ray of degeneration, arthritic spurs, stenosis, and realize that didn't just happen. That was 20 years of those unhealthy mechanisms that they just didn't know about or understand. 
and now they've got significant issues down the road, but now they think it's because they're 45, right? Mm-hmm. No, these issues started when they were 15. And then when you really have conversations, you have things like, this is one of my favorite, I have these guys that come in, they're like, I didn't tell you, but I used to play football when I was growing up. I'm like, you didn't have to. I saw your x-rays. <laughs> I was like, you either were in a collision sport. And it's not just football. It's cheerleading, soccer. Those are collision sports that are like, you know, being in many car wrecks. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of these things that with chiropractic and all, you don't always think you need to go unless you're like really hurting. But by the time you go, it's like you're in really it's, bad shape. And it's you the tipping done point. That's stuff. the biggest thing that I, have to, I try to help us appreciate and for me, too. Let me ask you this, Ben. You know what the number one first symptom of heart disease is? <sighs> no. Being a yeah. lawyer? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> that's a, probably a contributing factor, <laughs> right? But the number one first symptom, death. People think tightness in the chest, arm pain. Those people are fortunate. They had a warning signal. Mm. Okay? So my point is we're we're taught how healthy we are is based on how we feel. And vice versa. We think because we feel bad, we're unhealthy. I love to try to help us appreciate symptoms better. You know, what's the purpose of a cough? To tell you, well, to release something. Yeah, to get keep germs, bacteria, and viruses out of the lungs, mm-hmm. right? But what's the first thing we're taught to do with a cough? Take medicine for it. Stop it, because it feels bad, so it is bad. Mm-hmm. If you were choking on a chicken bone, Ben, you're from you're from Kentucky. If you were choking on a chicken bone, would you take something for that cough? No, I'd be like, I need to cough that. You'd that be up. trying to encourage it. You know, it's so. My point is, it's a healthy response. What's the purpose of a fever? To tell you you're sick, fighting off infection. Fighting off infection. It's your body elevating its temperature to fight off germs, bacteria, and viruses. But we're taught, not that these things don't need to be monitored and assessed and where are we at, but they're healthy responses. Mm. I mean, what's the purpose of diarrhea? I love talking about diarrhea. <laughs> well, I didn't know. I didn't think it'd ever get to that level on the podcast. But sure, Man, go ahead. Yeah, this. You didn't know this show was going to the crapper before we were even twenty minutes in. Did you? <laughs> You know, if you and I go out tonight, I come to, I fly down to Miami because you're going to take me out somewhere nice to eat, and we have some fresh seafood, and it's bad, and we get food poisoning, and we both get severe cases of diarrhea, mm. right, and vomiting. And your wife won't let you come back. <laughs> she won't let me come back. Yeah, because my <laughs> wife is a super mom, but if vomiting and diarrhea, that is her kryptonite. Okay, so just so you know. You're right. She would not let me come back. But let's say that I take something to stop it, and you, for lack of a better word, decide to let it go, right? Let it run its course. Who's healthier? I guess I am. You are because you're getting those toxins out where I'm trying to keep them in. You know, I can just imagine our listeners here. It's like some wife's going to hear this and she's going to tell her husband the next time that comes up, just keep going. It's all healthy. It's all healthy. (laughs) The grandmother or parent telling the kid, that's all right. Just go. Like I said, not that those things don't need to be monitored. So we make sure we're, but my point is we're taught just as soon as something, our body tries to fight a little bit, we want to stop it. And it's also, as we go through those things, Guess what builds that immune system for things you're going to face in the future, like cancer? 
Mm. You know, it's your immune system that's fighting cancer cells. And I'm a firm believer that, you know, because we don't allow ourselves when we're younger to go through colds and flus and all those things as effectively, that's like weight training for that immune system for those future battles. Yeah, I was, for me, a big thing is just a lot of people, they drink a ton of soda. I mean, it's so interesting, like where we're from. Western Kentucky, I don't think is quite as bad, but you hear stories like up in Eastern Kentucky of families that don't have running water and healthy water, Mm -hmm. and they have what they call dew mouth, and so their their teeth are rotten and all that stuff. But the amount of sugar that people eat, I mean, I always hear that, you know, that leads to cancer issues and this and that, of course, more weight gain. And I mean, I don't even drink soda. It feeds inflammation in the body, and inflammation is the chemistry of disease. Mm Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. And that goes back to what I was talking about earlier. How can we help people appreciate these things so we can work to reduce and eliminate the things that we can control so our body can better manage the things we can't? If you, one of our videos, if you ever see it, it's called Diet Sodas and Mother in Laws. And, <laughs> and it was about this. It's a, based on a true story. I had this young man that was a patient. He worked at the Goodyear Tire Plant. He's having terrible sciatic pain, both legs. And a t- uh, terrible time with a mother-in-law, too? Or what, Well, what happened was is, you know, he was having these terrible issues. He worked on those concrete floors, throwing tires. And I told him that, you know, we were talking about some of the things that weren't going to change. You know, he's still going to be on concrete. So we were talking about better ways to support him, like shoes and fatigue mats and things of that nature. You know, we were talking about he was still going to be throwing tires, and we were talking about, you know, how he could support himself watching his posture, how he was bending, stuff like that. But we got into a conversation about him being married, and I asked him if he liked his mother-in-law, and he said, not really. And I said, well, realize you can't change her either. But also while we were talking, he told me that he drank 12 Diet Mountain Dews a day. Wow. They worked 12 hour shifts. He went through one an hour. And I, so that's what I told him. I said, while you can't control your mother-in-law, you can control those 12 diet Mountain Dews you drink every day. Mm-hmm. Does that yeah. make sense? Cause they're all filling in that stress bucket that is that's building, building, building. It's compromising that magic word we talked about earlier called adaptability. Right. Yeah. Well, I try to eat pretty pretty clean and one thing to help me out i mean i'm i'm a cook i can actually cook pretty yep, good for yep, a guy yep. I but like to cook too. you know being a lawyer and working a lot and stuff like that sometimes i don't always have time and i get these meal sh- shipments in now right. i have like the chicken and the vegetables and things like that but just the clean eating makes such a big difference you know a lot of people they just they just neglect that and it's sort we of like did, we just don't know so let's let's go back i became a chiropractor because i had terrible migraine headaches right had mm-hmm. them started when i was about sixth grade by the time i got to murray state playing basketball i'd been to neurologists i was on injections for them we had a chiropractor dr dennis heskett that took care of our team i didn't know why he took care of us we just went in we saw him for about 30 seconds and he was gone but while i was under his care everything totally changed for me that's how I ended up, long story short, we won't get into all the details of that, but that's how I ended up becoming a chiropractor. But it wasn't until after I was in school and I started to learn and appreciate these principles that we're talking about here tonight. And then especially once I got into practice and you see these patterns within the culture that I started to realize all those years, I thought my headaches were the problem. They weren't the problem. I was the problem. Okay. 
I stayed so worked up, Ben, about my school and about my basketball. I'm a warrior by nature, which is another lesson I've learned. I didn't rest like I needed to. I was constantly pushing myself. I didn't understand. I try to teach my young people today that one of the most important aspects of their training is rest. Mm -hmm. We're not taught that. We're taught to constantly push, 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 push. Mm -hmm. And that's when our body will shut you down. When you don't listen to it, it will make you listen. And my nutrition, Ben, was horrible. I just didn't know any better. I mean, I was an athlete. I mean, I was burning like 8,000 calories a day. So I was just eating whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, just fast food, junky food. Let me give you an example, Ben. This is a true story. You can ask any of my teammates. My picture is probably still on the wall there from 1995 okay do you remember papa john's and murray yeah all right they had the racer special 5.99 large one topping Mm -hmm. okay this was not my dinner this was my bedtime snack every single night good i would eat i would eat a large pizza from papa john's with two garlic butters one to pour on and one to dip in yeah for the breadsticks of course yeah well, I'm dipping the crust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I didn't understand why I couldn't get around the track the next morning at five o'clock and why I'd wake up and it would taste like my, like I'd eaten a chicken with the feather still on it because my mouth was so dry from dehydrating myself from all that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I didn't know. And now athletes today, it's totally different. You know, they're taught that those weren't things that we knew and you don't know what you don't know. And the stuff is, it, and those types of foods, have in them what's called excitotoxins, which make you crave them. You want more. You think about it, if you sat down tonight to eat an apple, Ben, how many apples could you eat? I'd be good with one. One, right? Now, you, let's say you sat down, you and Rodney there, to check out the, you know, the reruns of Seinfeld, and you've got, going back to the Oreo cookies, you got a whole pack of Oreo cookies over there. How many of those can you eat? Well, I don't know about Oreo cookies, but I'll tell you what, when Girl Scout season comes around and Girl Scout cookie season comes around, those trefoils, I can easily shovel off a whole sleeve. No problem. And why the whole sleeve? Because that's when you run out. Well, I I figure after one, I just kind of pace myself, you know? Yeah, well, but that's what happens. If you weren't conscious of it, you just keep eating them. And you can take the mass of those cookies compared to the mass that you eat from that apple. It's a lot more. But those type of foods make you crave them. Those Girl Scouts, they know how to hook you in. It's the mothers. It's not the kids. <laughs> they go, you go to a Walmart or something, they got a minivan full of Girl Scout cookies. Matter the of tag fact, alongs, man, and you put those things in the freezer, it's like somebody needs to pull an intervention. Like, yeah. It's that. It's serious. Well, it was funny to go off on a tangent on Girl Scout cookies. So I went, I think it was March, usually March when they have Girl Scout cookies. So I had to go to Walmart to run an errand. And sure enough, there was the huge minivan out there and all these girls and stuff. And I was like, well, I know I can definitely go through one box pretty quick. And, you know, Girl Scout cookie season, it's only a few weeks a year, maybe a month. So I'm like, well, let me stock up for the whole year. So I bought a whole case. Right. It was way too many, way too many. So... I actually had to throw away some Girl Scout cookies because, honestly, with the trefoils, after a few months, like when it rolled into September, I was like, ah, these are just not as good. But Right. So I'll know for next year. But I kind of yeah. balance myself, though. Like if I'm eating – one of my weaknesses is chocolate chip cookie dough. So whenever I try to make the cookies, 
usually half end up in my mouth before right. they hit the plate. And then, of course, the other hit the, the pan for the oven. But, you know, I eat pretty healthy. Like for breakfast every morning, I always have oatmeal every morning. Right. And usually right. orange juice or water. And I'll have like these green juices. But I eat pretty healthy. And, you know, I don't smoke. I don't drink. I've always been that way because I knew with my job as a lawyer, with it being a stressful job, I'm like, you know, I've got to have something that kind of offsets that stress. Yes. The whole point of our conversation, you, you nailed it. So I try to do that. But for a lot of people, I mean, like, I don't know how my friends like you with, with four kids or let, let alone being a single parent with kids, how they manage their busy career and they still, you know, have to deal with the kids and still find time to go to the gym. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't have that time for the gym right. or the the stretching, yoga, some type of detox. And so they're, they're not living their life. They're living somebody else's life. And I think that's something that I like for my listeners to try to realize. You got to take time for yourself and you got to make yourself a priority on things too. And you've got to balance stuff out or otherwise you're just going to go way too much and your body's just going to shut down. If you don't take care of you, you can't take care of everybody else, mm-hmm. you know, and just, and I can't imagine, you know, people I get to work with that are single parent. I mean, we have a busy household. I have, we had four kids in five years. So we've got a 10 year old, a nine year old, a seven year old and a five year old. And my wife is amazing. Like she is a super mom. Like she's organized. She. She is, she's never procrastinated on anything. She, I, I mean, I have to step my game up because I'm a, I could be a procrastinator by nature. That's the thing. Me by myself, I don't, I don't know how I would do it, but she does such a great job of running things and keeping things held together. And I think one of the things that helps in that is learning to look at life and how do we create a rhythm for our life? Yeah, you got to have that you know, routine. I got this from your first podcast. You tell me if I was true because I picked this up when you said it. We're taught success is how much, how big, how many things can we get going, mm. right? And then once you get all these things going, you realize you really kind of just trapped yourself. When there's really success should really be about simplicity. There's an elegance in simplicity, Okay. And so if we look at life as running a race, we're all running a race called life. You have two types of runners. You have marathon runners and you have sprinters, right? Mm -hmm. What does a marathon runner look like when he or she finishes their race? Well, they're usually pretty tired, but I mean, they're they've been going this steady pace the whole time. So they're not about to keel over like the sprinter sometimes is. Well, let's think about that. Okay. Maybe the out of shape sprinter. Yeah. The out of shape. You think about Carl Lewis or Bolt when they just won their races, what were they doing after their races? Well, I mean, they were celebrating their, yeah, they're running around waving their flags, waving at the crowd. You know, a lot of times your marathon runners, when they cross that finish line, like, they're exhausted. And the difference in that is the marathon runner is kind of grinding it out, grinding it out, grinding it out. Like you said, they've got that pace. They're not sprinting total like that sprinter is, but they're grinding it out for a long, long period of time. Well, that's kind of what we do when we try to create balance in our life. We're just kind of grinding it out, 
touching everything in our life that's important with nothing really getting our full attention. Where if we look at the sprinter, they totally engage then totally disengage, mm-hmm. totally engage, totally disengage. And they'll run four or five races in a day. Right. And so that's one of the things in trying to create that rhythm is how do we appreciate what the different aspects of our life that are important and how do we totally engage in one area, then totally disengage to totally re-engage in another. So like for me, when I'm at work, I have different dimensions of my role as a business owner. You know, I'm the CEO of the business. I'm the head marketer. I'm the bookkeeper. I'm the head clinician. So I don't try to, I used, I've done this, try to handle everything all the time. Mm. I don't do that anymore. I allocate certain times. I'm going to handle certain things. I know I'm not doing anything bookkeeping wise. I don't even check the mail till Friday afternoon when I'm finished with patients for the week. Mm. And I don't worry about it all weekend because I don't have to think about it. Cause I know Friday afternoon, I'm going to handle those tasks. And then when I go home, I work to totally disengage from work to re-engage on homework or whatever it is that we need to do at home with the kids. Mm -hmm. You know, when I finish work on Friday, I try not to touch anything work-related until Sunday morning. There's a pastor here named Chris Brooks. Man, he did a sermon not too long ago on the Sabbath. And because I'd always kind of look at church, you know, you go to church, that's your day off. Mm. Well, especially once I had kids, man, I realized if you go to church on Sunday, it ain't a day off. There is nothing restful about (laughs) going to church on Sunday, right? With the kids getting them ready and all that. Yeah. I mean, people would ask us what service we go to. I'm like, well, we plan for the nine o'clock service so we can make it to the 11 o'clock service on time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, because one, it's your only day that you don't have to be somewhere super early. Your routine changes a little bit. And so, you know, you want to have breakfast together or whatever. And then now you're on this mad rush of trying to get everybody dressed and out the door and what he taught about was that the Sabbath was, I think it was in Genesis, first there was evening and then there was day, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and he talked about how we, in our culture, we try to rest from our day instead of resting for our day, which was a big change for me. Like really, really appreciating at night when I'm done. Not get sucked into something that's going to keep me up later, but how am I intentional about making sure I get to bed at the appropriate time? Because I'm an early riser. I mean, I'm up at four o'clock in the morning. Well, Lord, I'm not. So, <laughs> but then also realizing that the day of rest in the Jewish culture, it started at sundown on Friday till sundown on Saturday, mm-hmm. right? But what I would do is I would get up on Saturday mornings and try to get caught up on some of my book work, you know, my files or whatever I need to do. And then we'd have church on Sunday. So I realized I was never getting a day off. So I started from the time I finish on Friday afternoon till Sunday morning. I don't do anything work related, total disengagement, kids, sports, things of that nature. And I look at Sunday as my first work day, church, Mm -hmm. my first meeting of the week. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't do a lot, but I get up and if I have got some things I need to work on, I, I do those things on Sunday and kind of ease into my work week for Monday. 
But now that gives me that total disengagement time that I realized that I was missing. Because once you go from giving out of all you got to all you got left, talking about learning to take care of yourself, that's a dangerous place. That's where bitterness, resentment, frustration, anxiety, all those unhealthy emotions live there. And once that emotional tank runs dry, it's hard to fill it back up. I've been there twice. I've learned that lesson. So I try not to repeat it. I really try to focus on that rest issue. Yeah, I've been there too. Yeah. Because it's one of those things, you know, when you're a lawyer at a big law firm and as an associate, and even when I made partner, it really didn't change that much because it was still like, you still got to bill the 2000 hours or, I mean, they'll give you a a little grace, but then you got to do that. Plus you have to bring in more clients. So, right. And it's one of those things with email. I mean, in a way, email is a blessing, but in a way, it's a curse, and I absolutely hate it. Because when you send an email to somebody, you think, okay, they got it, and you expect somewhat of a, a prompt response, at least in a business setting. So, right. you know, usually a 24-hour rule is appropriate. But, I mean, there are some people, it's like, I mean, literally, even my, my job today, I've, I finished a big closing I spent half of my day just doing email stuff. Yeah. I didn't even spend time drafting a couple of documents. I did that in the afternoon, but a lot of times I find myself drafting in documents and things like after 5 o'clock yeah. once the phones end and all that. And it was it's much better now than when I was at the firm, but it was like, man, you're going 100 miles an hour all day. Sometimes you don't stop and eat lunch, and I get into a bad habit of I'll eat lunch at 2 o'clock, sometimes three o'clock because I'm like, I want to find like a good stopping point. Right. I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll just finish here. It'll only be a little bit. And then somebody comes in my office and this and that. And I look up and it's like three o'clock and I'm like right. famished and this and that. So that's always a, a battle for me. But it's and it's the same way for a lot of my, my friends and colleagues. You know, they're going 90 to nothing in their career. And then they've got kids or a spouse or they have to worry about or a dog or a cat. The cats probably aren't too much, but you know, it's never this end. And so I kind of have a rule that when I'm on the, on the weekends, I'm just flat, not doing any work. I don't check my email at work and I may get fired for it one day, I guess, but unless it's like an absolute emergency, I mean, sometimes that stuff happens, but I need those exception, not the norm. Yeah. So like on my weekends, I'm either playing ball or I'm, I spend a fair amount out by the pool just listening to a St. Louis Cardinal game or I'm listening to a ball game. And I don't even, like, a, a lot of times I would watch the games on TV, but I'm like, since I've been in front of a computer all week, it's right. like I've got to get away from a screen. So, I mean, I bet I listen to 90% of the Cardinal games that I've watched or whatever on the radio. On the radio. You know, I've done it with UK basketball games and and I used to be a huge NFL football fan, but I tell you what, once I moved down to Florida and I was like it's 80 degrees outside and sunny. Right. I'm not watching a football game. I'll listen to right. it on the radio, but I mean right. I got to have that detox time. Yep, absolutely. So what are just some kind of basic tips you'd give people as to things they should be doing to try to, you know, help with the common symptoms that you see, like lower back pain, the tech neck, that kind of stuff that they can maybe do around the house or just as part of their normal routine, aside from going for their regular checkups with chiropractor and see what the problem really is. 
Well, you know, that's a great question. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why we're, you know, preparing our live life well platform, Mm -hmm. because there are so many things that are so unique to each person. You know, it's as simple as understanding the health of our mattress. When people come in, they say, you know, I've got problems that are worse in the morning or at night. Well, right away, I'm asking mattress, pillow, sleep positions, because we spend a third of our life in bed, right? So then people ask, well, what should I sleep on? And I tell them, I have no idea. We're all different. We all have different needs, you know. And so my best recommendation on that is when they buy something, make sure it has a trial period. So to answer your question, that question is so deep and has so many different facets to it. When we really start to appreciate that, it's hard to give a blanket. If I had to say top things to focus on, number one would be rest. Especially my mom's, the biggest thing we'll compromise is our rest. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I'll stay up a little later and I'll get this done. I'll do it. And that's where we get in trouble. Well, I tell you, it's hard for the folks on the East Coast because the the ball games, yep. like when I was living in Kentucky, I was on Central Time. So, you know, games would start 7 o'clock or WWE wrestling or right. you know, all the wrestling would start at 7. Well, now it's 8 o'clock. And so now, like, main shows are prime time. It's not off until 11 o'clock or you're watching Monday Night Football. And it's yep. like, man, I can't stay up that late because I, I got to get to work. And that's what you have to appreciate. You have to realize those are decisions we have to make. Okay. The second thing is going back to the nutrition. I'm a big proponent of intermittent fasting. I don't know if you're familiar with that at all. I really like it. It's not for everybody, but it works well for me. And during the week, I'm a foodie, man. I growed up in the country and I love great food and I love stuff that's just terrible for you. Okay. I still enjoy those things, but I try to limit that. During the week, I try to keep my meals more lean and green, meaning focused on lean meats and green vegetables, really reducing the breads and the sugars. But then on the weekends, man, I want to take the kids and go out for burgers or pizza or, you know, ice cream. We, you know, we enjoy those things, but those things, how can they become a treat and not a lifestyle? Yeah. To go back a little bit on the intermittent fasting, can you explain that a little bit more? Because I've heard about it, and I know it's gaining more traction, but what exactly is it? Is it something where it's like all day or just for a few hours? Everybody, there are different ways you can do it, but it's really about establishing a window of time in which you eat. So for me, I love dinner. Like I love, when I come home, I want a great meal. I've worked hard all day, okay? And... I'm not a big breakfast eater, so that's kind of my normal rhythm. I'm not hungry in the morning. Maybe it's I'm not hungry in the morning because I would eat a large pizza from Papa John's with two garlic butters at night. Maybe that's why I wasn't <laughs> hungry when I got up. <laughs> but that's just kind of been my rhythm. Also understanding a lot of times with for a lot of us, things we'll eat in the morning. If I, lots of times if I eat in the morning, I'm hungry all day. Well, we'll grab a bagel or even something like orange juice. And if we don't know how to balance that, out even like something like orange juice with like a protein such as egg or oatmeal like you were talking about earlier something that's going to bring some balance to that meal what happens is you'll spike your blood sugar up and then you'll start that wave you'll be hungry all day because once that blood sugar drops down guess what you want to spike it back up again yes i was just eating oatmeal because i thought i mean i knew it was healthy but also i put it in the microwave it's a 
ready in a minute. I'm usually in a hurry, so well, and that quick goes and easy. back too to looking at the type of oatmeal you use. Mm-hmm. Like uh, understand the difference between what comes in some of the baggies versus steel cut. You know, like real, there's real deal oatmeal out there. Not that that's not a good choice, but there may be in some choices that would be that much more beneficial for you. Maybe like that whole food stuff or. Yes. Mm-hmm. Look in some of those options. Oh, but intermittent fasting <laughs> is about having a window where you eat. And another thing that I'll try to do is my window on some days is tighter than others. My days are physical. I'm on my feet. I, I work in this community here. Berry Farms, which are master plan communities like you set up. And so like right across from here is a great Mexican restaurant, Tito's, and another great pizza place, Soul Shine. I love those places, but I can't eat there and work. If I eat there, I want to go home and take a nap. Yeah, (laughs) I have to save those places for the weekend. So if I need something for lunch, I'll go to Juice Bar and get a Whole Foods juice or something of that nature something leaning or something light. And then for dinner, I will enjoy something more lean meat, green vegetable type of dinner. Yeah. You know, Rodney's actually on an intermittent fasting diet, I guess. He, he gets fed two times a day, one cup in the morning. Then he gets his dinner like around 7, 7.30. And actually, he lost some weight. I took him for a checkup. Yeah. He, he's down to 68 pounds. Yeah. Yeah, one time. Another good point of intermittent fasting is it gives your gut a chance to rest. Mm -hmm. And that's also why on days, if I do have, like, if I have a day that's going to be longer and I feel like I need something at lunch or I'll try to go with a juice or something like that because I'm not taking in a bunch of bulky food that now my gut's got to break down. If you juice, and I was always afraid of juicing because the stuff I made looked like, it tasted like it looked. Mm-hmm. Where there are a lot of great resources now, man. That's they make some things that are amazing, but those nutrients are absorbed right into the system, and that gut's not having to work, you know, to break down a cheeseburger. Yeah. So intermittent fasting is more like, like let's say you have a normal routine of you eat at seven in the morning, you eat lunch at noon, and you eat dinner at five. It's more like, all right, you might have something. Like you it. wait till later in the day to eat or it, vice versa. Some people like breakfast. They may want to eat in the morning and then not eat again till the next morning. Let's say on your workout routine, if you're intermittent fasting, the best option, especially if you're wanting to lose weight, is to work out and you're eating later in the day is to work out in the morning before you have food. Yeah. Because yeah. as soon as you eat something, now your body's going to burn that energy from that from that food to power it. If you haven't eaten anything, now you're going to draw off your body's reserves. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I've seen, um, several of my trainer friends do that too, where they work out in the morning at four or five o'clock while I'm still in bed. They like to do their, their sprinting and all their fasted cardio. Right. Yes, exactly. And, And that's why they're burning off those reserves. Yeah. Well, you know what? I mean, seems like you need to, have not just a, a chiropractic center, but branch into whole health and wellness. You can be a dietitian, bring that in. Because it's very interesting how, like in the health field, a lot of people, they're branching out to offer multiple services, especially in the bigger towns, just for convenience for people because they don't have the time to travel and all that. And like I've got dentist friends that they're 
doing Botox injections right. and all this stuff. And I was like, I never thought a dentist would have to, would be qualified to do Botox and stuff. But my dentist friends say, well, no, they're trained with all the facial muscles and they do that. And so, you know, a lot of trainers now, they do not only the physical training, but they also do diet counseling and things like that because it all kind of goes hand in hand. Right. Yes, it's all interrelated. And again, it's all about building health. How do we learn about those resources? And the hard part is, and this goes back to what we're trying to do with living life well, is how do I help connect people to those resources and products that can help them with that and not me trying to be all things to all people? Oh, you, you can't but do it all. You can't do it. So, But how can I be that connector so now they have a centralized resource that when they have questions about something, whether it's mattresses or CBD oils, or I can say, here, here are some fundamental things that it's important for you to know, and here are some things that you can check out. Yeah, it's almost like you should almost have to bring in partners or like you're the owner of the business and you you hire someone who's your dietitian and you hire your person who's doing this and that. And that way, as the owner, you have control rather than them being a partner, because if they're a partner per se, you know, you lose flexibility on your decision making. And it's more to manage again, you know, there, for me, there's an elegance and simplicity and I've always had a great staff, but there are times when I've had a lot of staff on the business side that overhead, everything raises so much. We kept growing to these bigger and bigger levels. And I reached a point, I was like, you know, I'm not really making any more money personally on the business side, but it costs me a lot more to run this facility. Yeah. You know, I haven't looked at the numbers on how these businesses do it, but one thing I'd like to do if I was a business owner is down here in Florida, the whole health and wellness thing is, is huge. There are these medical centers where they'll have like the, the massage therapist with the, the facial right. the esthetician and then they can you know do your adjustments and all that but then they'll do the botox and they'll do the injectors they also they'll they'll do the plastic surgery and all that stuff so literally you can go there get massaged and then they have a dentist in there so you go in there you get your teeth cleaned massaged adjusted these iv treatments and everything and oh well if you need your botox or whatever it's a one-stop shop or cosmetic surgery or whatever and it's just a one-stop shop and so they've got people coming back for so many different things different things yes that's how they work of course you've got to find like you said people that are qualified and trustworthy to do it and but it's, it's all about finding the right people and understanding your market yeah every market's different yeah well like for example i mean nashville is that area is one of the fastest growing areas in the country and like when i it's drive amazing. when i it's drive through there now i mean i see all the development and everything but i will kid you not i bet i see probably like eight billboards just on i24 that are for cosmetic surgery, breast implants, see this doctor, hair restoration, all that. So, and with Nashville being in the entertainment industry and so many young people, including us, like going there and stuff, that age demographic, they're going to want to look good. And especially like with the country music performers and stuff. I mean, I saw a photo, I don't know if you remember the country music star, Marty Stewart. 
Yep. From back in the day. Well, as you can tell from any good country singer, they're always going to have really good hair and very, right. hi, very high hair. But it's right. like they're going to do what they need to do to to look good, Dolly Parton and all that. So I feel like those kind of businesses are going to always thrive in the in the bigger cities and the regions like around them. Now, your rural areas like where you were like in Union City or where I grew up they in Marshall County and stuff, sustain it. They, they don't have the market. And so, it. but also understanding that a lot of those things that you are talking about services are aesthetic services, mm-hmm. not as much health services. And that's one of the biggest challenges with a lot of health services. I'm not talking about sick care services where we're responding to things, but about what am I doing to take care of myself? Mm-hmm my health is they're based on personal responsibility. And that's part of our humanness. Lots of times that is one of our weaknesses is we, most of us are not driven by personal responsibility. We Mm -hmm. make decisions out of pain. Yeah. We're motivated by pain and myself included in that. (laughs) Yeah. But it's, but however, when we are, empowered with information and understanding then that becomes a motivating factor for us to be more willing to take personal responsibility just like you starting to understand it with your career and what you do nutritionally how that all balances out yeah well all right so now i know we're not talking health all night no 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 i could talk about this all night i know you're you're thinking about changing over to tennessee basketball as your number one well, now I'm not going that far. <laughs> I mean, I feel sympathy for their football program right now as a oh, as a Kentucky fan. <laughs> man, yeah. You know, yeah, Kentucky, man. we thought, well, hey, we had a good year last year and thought, well, we're going to continue it this year. And right now we're not off to the right start. And, of course, Tennessee is struggling too. But as you know, as a regular listener of the podcast, I have a series of living the dream questions relating to pop culture to see if you truly are living the dream. So... All right, so I know you grew up in Union City, Tennessee. You're a Tennessee volunteer football and basketball fan, as well as Murray State, of course, where we went to of school. Of course, the racers. But yep. I mean, my daughter is in – she's eight years old, and she's excited. She just started playing volleyball. And so I am planning to take her within the next couple of weeks up to watch the Murray State ladies volleyball team, which plays in the older – that's what I told her. I said they play in the old arena where I played. Yeah. basketball so we're all excited about going up to watch volleyball yeah State. that's become a big thing with the whole title yeah. nine and you know trying to add more women's sports i mean yep. shoot that was one of my favorite sports playing oh, in the murals but uh, yeah it was fun but switching back to tennessee football and basketball here so growing up in tennessee i know you supported tennessee basketball so but now with tennessee really becoming a basketball school i mean people laugh but tennessee's uh, coming to uh, bruce pearl bruce pearl i mean they've had some good teams they've taken it to kentucky in the past you know they had a good run with grant williams and major admiral admiral schofield major wingate was a player they had in the past i think all right so who are your favorite tennessee basketball players of all time uh, i could not start listing my Tennessee favorite all-time Tennessee basketball players without Mark Griffin. I remember him from the 80s. Mark Griffin is from Union City. I went to Obine County, but Mark Griffin was from Union City. I was in about the 
second, third grade when Mark was having his career at Union City, and he was six eleven. He was a six ten. So he's a big guy. Of course, when you're you know seven years old, he's a giant, right? And mm-hmm. just a great guy. And one of the first people that I watched go from high school to college. And then at the same time, that's when Cannon Whitby was at Obion County Central, who went on to Arkansas. So I. You know, I really grew up in the Arkansas culture in, in my town because Cannon was Mr. Basketball in the state of Tennessee. I think he's still the all-time leading scorer in the state of Tennessee, and this was before they had a three-point line. So, you know, he and Mark Griffin battled it out. And, you know, that was the county rivalry, and so Mark going to Tennessee was big for me. Ernie and Bernie. You can't talk about Tennessee basketball without talking about Ernie and Bernie. Bernard King and Ernie Grunfeld. As yeah. a young kid, I went to an Ernie Bernie basketball camp. I was probably in about the fourth or fifth grade. That was big for me. Dale Ellis, a three-point. Early shooter. 80s, yeah. I mean, Dale had a great basketball career and probably still one of my favorites, Allen Houston. Yeah. i tell you what, Allen Houston – well, he was a Kentucky guy. He was at Louisville, but he went to Tennessee because his dad, Wade Houston, was the coach at Tennessee. But, man, such a lethal scorer. I, I think he finished his career as the number two all-time scorer in SEC basketball history behind Pistol Pete Maravich. Uh, he was a special player for sure. And, he and was, of course, the guys you mentioned recently, Admiral and – Grant Williams. Yes. They were a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. No, I mean, I – I hate. Obviously, I wasn't rooting for him when they played Kentucky, but I was, I was rooting for him in the SEC or in the NCAA tournament. Once it gets to the NCAA tournament, I'm rooting for all the SEC schools unless they're playing Kentucky. So, like right. I was rooting for Tennessee, and I mean I hated when they lost to Purdue. They had a good run. I was rooting for those Auburn teams, and except when they were playing Kentucky, you know I'm, I root for the SEC. Yep. Uh, yes, sir. I do too. So, all right. You know if we get started talking on basketball, we're going to have yeah, to talk a little bit yeah. more. So going from Tennessee back to Murray State where you were a player on those mid-'90s teams with Marcus Brown and winning regular OVC titles. Special time for sure. Yeah. yeah. Who are your favorite players from Murray State? Marcus Brown was amazing. And a lot of people don't know about Marcus Brown. While he was drafted in the NBA, had some injury issues, went overseas and became a – Hall of Famer in the European yeah. League. He played for like 15 years, I think. Oh, man, he just had a great career. One of the highest paid players in Europe, I think. And, you know, now he's back and just got that coaching job at his old high school. In West Memphis, Arkansas? West Memphis, Arkansas. Yeah. yeah. You know, I did a podcast with Jeannie Morgan um, from Murray State. Of, you know, that's how we met was through SGA. Yes. We were talking about – a. Marcus Brown coming from Memphis because Frank Allen, who uh, yes. played at Murray State, was from that area. You know, Memphis was a, a hotbed for recruiting. Wasn't Vincent Rainey from that area, or was he from Vincent Rainey was from there, and that's where Scott Edgar was known as, at Arkansas. He was known for recruiting out of Memphis, yeah. and you know, he brought that to Murray. And Papa Jones is from Dresden, Tennessee, right. and I'm from you know Troy, Union City. And so when I was in junior high, that's when Popeye went to Murray State. So that was my first affiliation. My junior high coach was friends with Popeye, and he brought Popeye in to talk to us as a little junior high 
kids and which, you know, Papa went on to have a great career at Murray state and the NBA and still coaching assistant coach in the NBA. I get to see him every, you know, a couple of years I'll come back for Palooza or different things. And, you know, Papa seems to be doing great for himself. And his sons are both professional hockey players. Yeah, I knew that. The oldest one, Seth, was playing here at for the Predators for Nashville when we moved here. And I went to my first hockey game, and I was so hockey inept. You know, I went just for to see Seth because of Papa. And I took my son. He was my oldest son was like four at the time, so this was like six years ago. And we got up to leave after the second period. Mm-hmm. And I'm leaving and I realized we're the only people leaving. So before I walked through the door that said no re-entry, I asked the usher, I said, is the game not? I said, why are we the only people leaving? He said, sir, there's still another period. <laughs> yeah. I said, only Canadians would come up with a game with three periods. Yeah. You know, at Murray State, too, I mean, we've had just a great, great tr- tradition. One thing I'd like to get your, your thoughts on, though, because I kind of have some strong feelings about it, but you know, we'll see if you and I mesh on this. When you were in college, you had your basketball scholarship, four years and everything. What's it like being a, a college athlete and trying to be a regular student and not getting some type of incentive beyond just the scholarship? Because I'll just, I guess I'll be kind of biased in my opinion. It's hard enough for a regular student to finish in four years, even with summer school, let alone an athlete who's real busy. But yet, on the flip side, I know we had the discussion about, well, you open up the can of worms, and if you're giving benefits to one athlete, you got to give it to them all. But what's your take on it? Because you were an athlete. Right, and and it's a great question, and it's a slippery slope question, just like you're, you're alluding to. One, it is a job. It is a full-time job, and that was in my day. You know, mm-hmm. Now it's even more so. I remember when I went back to Murray State, and they built a new arena, and then they built a new – I went back, and they gave us a tour of the new practice facilities and weight rooms, and we walk in the weight room, and they start talking about they have three full-time strength coaches. And I'm like, three full-time strength coaches? Our idea of a strength coach was some kid – trying to get extra credit for his exercise physiology class. Yeah. And you, you the know, gym was in car. Health. Was it that old car? Health? It's, 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 it's evolved into something so much more complicated and, and demanding even now that it's a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So, and also appreciating a lot of those guys don't have a lot of support. Yeah. Or some of the women yeah. too. Yeah, I'm just saying in general, a lot of those athletes, you know, some come from backgrounds where they can have help from, you know, I was fortunate. My parents were able to help me. I get a little spending money or food money. And Mm -hmm. so I think there should, should, there definitely should look at the option of, for instance, a cost of living Mm -hmm. stipend. I think once you start getting into the uh, uh, next aspect of, getting paid for gear and stuff like that. I I think that's taken on a whole new round that, you know, I think is part of the purity of college basketball or college athletics that, you know, if if you're at that level, then let them go ahead and make the leap to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I come out on it too, because it's like when I was in college, I mean, I was always taking a full load of courses, but I, I loved being like a, an umpire and, the intramural sports and you get paid a little bit here or there. People right. would work in the library or they'd work at Walmart or Lowe's or I, I didn't have the time to take 
on that kind of a job. But it's like you always want to have some extra money to go little, out to little, eat and little go little on a walking date. walking around money. I mean, yeah. you know, at that stage in your life, you got 60 bucks, man. You're rich. Yeah. <laughs> you know, hey, I can – me and this girl that I'm trying to get to like, we can go to watch a movie and maybe have ice cream after. I'm like rolling. <laughs> yeah. So I think I, I'd like to see them try to do that because I just think the whole argument, well, they're coming there for an education – that is, that's just not reality. I mean, there are right. a lot of people right. that are coming for the education, but they should have like a six-year academic scholarship. If it takes them six years to finish, why should yes, that because matter? You can't, I mean, you can say what you want, but you're expected to you know, be available at a certain time, certain amount of hours, and that creates restrictions. And you're traveling, you're gone a lot. And you need some downtime you know, too. So you to need some, uh, and that was one of the things I didn't understand. Yeah, I did, I, there wasn't downtime. Yeah. So cool. I always like talking that kind of stuff and yep. getting the perspective no, from question. someone who actually lived it because I think it's easy for you know the the casual fan or the non athlete who's not going through the the practice. And like I said, it's it's that slippery slope because just being real here. Most schools, the football and basketball programs are the money makers. But it's like, right. well, you know what? The 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 women's soccer teams, I mean, shoot, some of these women's soccer teams or women's basketball, you look at the Tennessee vol- Lady Volunteers, they're bringing some revenue there. And, right. I mean, they deserve the compensation too because they're putting in the time just like everybody else. So very interesting. And it's more it's more incentive to work hard. You know, yeah. especially if you set something based on what you're producing. Mm-hmm. You know, we live in this world, and let's face it, this isn't really where we want everything to be distributed equally. Well, you lose a lot of incentive there. Yeah, that's a very interesting discussion because, I mean, you know, yeah, I just that remember could be back a whole to, other podcast. Yeah, it could for someone much more qualified than me to answer it. Right, I'm just a former. I used to set picks for Marcus Brown. I just needed Marcus Brown to get his shots. That's, I just needed to be in somebody's way. That was all I needed to do. And if he missed it, I needed to try to go get it. But think of how important that was because well, if he wasn't open, he may have missed the shot. Yeah, so yeah. the sort of like the Rodney Dangerfield of, of the team, the un, unsung uh, I hero. Loved you. I loved hearing your stories about Rodney again. Those yeah. were great. So well, keeping with the college theme here, What's the better college movie, Animal House, Revenge of the Nerds, or Old School? Oh, Revenge of the Nerds. Really? I remember Revenge of the Nerds. I'm going to be that person <laughs> that's going to pick that one. I remember Revenge of the Nerds coming out, and, you know, the ad, that's... The Adams was the yep. logo. Yep. That's a, that, Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah. I, it was pretty funny. I, of course, love Animal House because I... I'm a big John Belushi fan. I mean, I love yeah. I love all three of the movies. You know, I, I definitely love Animal House. But I, I, I mentioned it on the podcast before. I always really related to Old School though because that Owen Wilson character. I don't know if you remember or not, but he was a real estate lawyer. And then he was doing all oh, these no, parties and stuff. That. And he's of course his last name's Wilson. So I'm like, uh, that was me. That was you. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, they're all pretty funny. There's no wrong answer there. But you're the first to vote for Revenge of the Nerds. I figured. Who's your favorite college basketball player of all time? Or i tell you what, even if you want to name a couple, because I know you mentioned a bunch of Tennessee guys, but is there one that's kind of your favorite? 
you know, excluding you, of course, I'm afraid to say this because I'm afraid you're going to just hit the hang up button on this call because I was a big fan of Christian Leitner. Oh gosh. (laughs) In the world. I know that it's like if dang, you knew man. I was going to say I hope that. Jamal Mashburn's probably, not listening you, to this thing. You would thing. have revoked my invitation to be on your show tonight. But this is a call. This is about diversity, right? Well, there and, unfortunately are people out there that like Christian Leitner. I was a Bill Lane Beer fan. I love Bill Lane Beer. The only time I didn't like Bill Lane Beer was when he got in a fight with Larry Bird because Larry Bird was my yeah. When I growing up. My best friend, Robin, that I mentioned, uh, I talked to you before. He was Magic Johnson. I was Larry Bird. And it was a battle. I mean, it was life or death, that, yeah. those series back in the day. I mean, we lived for those. There was none of this today. Like, I mean, could you imagine if Larry Bird had said, I'm going to go play with the Lakers? No. No, it would not have happened. Larry Bird would have said, I will not have a championship before yeah. I go play for the Lakers. Yeah, it was one of those things where, like, I mean, it was your team. and you It know. was your team. That is – and that's one of the things I think is missing today, but that's a whole other thing. We won't get onto that. So yeah. you asked my favorite college player in the college realm. I just think Christian Leitner was – I know you've seen the 30 for 30. Why hate Christian Leitner or – I still hate what, Christian Leitner. I, I still hate Christian Leitner. I mean, he knew how to play the mind game in that era as well. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll say this, just being objective. I mean, when you talk about the greatest college basketball players of all time, Christian Leitner is going to be in the discussion in the top ten. Uh, yes. Because, I mean, you can have so many discussions going back to your Pistol Pete's going to be in right. there. Uh, you've got Bernard King was in there, er- Ernie Grunfeld from Tennessee. I mean, those great players, Jerry West, Jerry Lucas right. in the 50s and 60s, uh, Magic. Johnson, uh, you know where where do you draw the line? But 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 you also have to appreciate some and and this Christian Leitner is a great example of that because he was great in the college game did not translate to the NBA game. It's just such a different game. Yeah. So you know that's where I I kind of qualify that when you say your favorite college player. Yeah. That's why I felt like he exemplified a great college player. But that didn't necessarily mean that translates. And and then you have good college players that become great NBA players. Yeah, you know, you know their game translates better into the pro game. Well, I would think a guy like uh, Latrell Sprewell. I mean, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, I I remember him briefly from Alabama, but I really didn't. He wasn't right. one of the main guys I remembered no. because I remembered Robert Ory and right. Melvin Cheatham and James Hollywood Robinson. And, and of all those guys, Sprewell had the best NBA career. I mean, Robert right. Ory won a bunch of those titles with the Lakers and right. being a clutch guy. But, I mean, that's a, a good example right there. And really even Rajon Rondo from Kentucky from the oh, mid-90s. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's another great mid-90s. example. I yes. mean, he, mm-hmm. he was yep. a good college player. We didn't have – the great talent on those teams. We but he became did. a superstar at the next level. Yeah, but he, he knew his role. Well, that is, I, I got to tell you, you lost two points on your know, Live of the Dream I'm with Leitner. I, I, I didn't want to say it. You asked the question, 
it was a visceral reflex, and I, I had to be honest. Gosh, well, I appreciate the honesty, but man, what an answer. Rodney went to sleep. He left the room, didn't he? Well, he was very disappointed, I'll say that. <laughs> very disappointed, and I'm smelling the disappointment. <laughs> That's what I was about to say. I'm proud he's disappointed at your house and not mine. Yes. All right, I was going to ask you your favorite NBA player, but you said Larry Bird, so we'll yeah. move along there. Now, we're going to get to the real important questions here. What's your favorite Seinfeld episode? Puffy shirt, man hands. Man hands. Oh, my gosh. Was the puffy shirt, was that in the... No, I'm sorry. Those were separate episodes. They were separate episodes. But those, uh, those when I think about Seinfeld, puffy shirt yeah. and man hands was funny. I remember in that line, the puffy shirt, Kramer said, come on, Jerry, you can be the first pirate. And Jerry's like, but I don't want to be a pirate. <laughs> He's like, this pirate thing, it's really going to catch on. <laughs> I like the man hands. That was pretty funny because the the woman he was going out with, she was very attractive. Yeah, and, and had these see huge those big man hands, hands come across there, and I'm like, who thought of that? That's just hilarious. Oh, she was getting something from his face, and it was an eyelash. She's like, oh, an right. eyelash. Here, blow it. Make a wish. She's like, he's like, no, no, I don't want to. And she's like, no, no, go ahead. And so he blew it off, and she said, so make a wish. And Jerry's like, uh, didn't come true. <laughs> Well, Classic. of course, see, we started talking in prep for the, the interview. We started talking about Seinfeld last night. So after we hung up, I started watching old Seinfeld episodes. Yes. And I spent like an hour. Of course, I, I love the Keith Hernandez episodes. Right. Um, that was great. I think yes. it's, I think it's funny when he was going out with Elaine. She's like, you don't know the first thing about first base. And, of course, for those in the audience, Keith Hernandez was a great first baseman with right. the Cardinals in the 70s and early 80s. And then. He's more known for the New York Mets and winning the World Series with him in the 80s and 86. And he's like, well, the way I figure it, he's like, Elaine, you don't know the first thing about first base. Matter of fact, I think I've already been to first base. I've rounded second. I plan on rounding third base around 11 o'clock tonight. And she replies <laughs> back and says, well, I think you should start, uh, pay attention to the third base coach because I don't think he's waving you in. <laughs> Yeah, that was great. That was great. And, of course, my favorite one is the contest. Where yes, oh, that was hilarious. I had an interview with Danielle Garneau. She was the Miami attorney. We taught social media, and she voted for it. And I had some other guests that voted for it as well. I was going to go into it, and I was like, oh, I'll get a bad rating. And now I'm like, ah, I don't really care. For those of you who haven't seen the contest, you've got to go to YouTube and type in Seinfeld the Contest. And it starts by they're in Monks, all having lunch, George, Kramer, and Elaine, uh, and Jerry. And George walks in, kind of moping around, and Jerry's like, George, wh- what's wrong with you? And he sits down, kind of moping. He's like, my mother caught me. Jerry's like, caught you? Doing what? And he's like, you know, I was alone. They start laughing. <laughs> he caught you. <laughs> and, and he's like, he's like, well, I went over to drop the car off, and no one was supposed to be home. They're supposed to be working. So my mother had a Glamour magazine laying around, and Jerry's like, Glamour? <laughs> and he's like, well, so one thing led to another, and anyway, my mother walks in, and she's like, George, what are you doing? My God. <laughs> and, he's like, and they start laughing, and He's like, well, what happened? And she's like, well, she threw her back out, which is appropriate for talking to a chiropractor here. And she's, 
they were laughing and everything. And George's like, well, it's not funny. It's it's not funny, Elaine. It's like, I'm sorry. He's like, well, I'll tell you what. I am never doing that again. And Elaine's like, you mean all together or just in your mother's house? And <coughs> George's like, all together. And he's like, no chance, no chance. And he's like, well, I know I could go longer than you. And Jerry's like, I don't think so. And George's like, well, do you want to make it interesting? And he's like, yeah. It's like, what do you what do you say? And uh, Jerry's or George is like, how about a hundred bucks? And Jerry said, all right, you're on. Then of course Kramer's sitting next to Jerry. And he's hearing all this. Is like, all right, count me in on this. And Jerry's like, you, you'll be out before we get the check. <laughs> so anyway, it goes on and on. It's a very funny story. But that time when Kramer, yeah, don't ruin, don't ruin who who lost the contest for those that don't yeah. watch it. It's just a classic episode. Yeah, it's a classic. It's I know a classic. you probably can't show your kids yet, but eventually you'll be able to expose them to Seinfeld and all the the nuggets of great quotes and characters that came through the, yeah, the series. Next icon, what's your favorite Chris Farley movie? Chris Farley, Tommy Boy. Yep. That's the love answer Tommy we Boy. get consistently. Love Tommy, love Tommy Boy. Yep. I love it, too. All right. What about Bill Murray? What's your favorite Bill Murray movie? Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day. You know what? I love Groundhog Day. That's the first vote for Groundhog Day, but it was a, f- a really great movie. It was a great movie and a great <laughs> message, really. And lots of times when I have a day that just goes amazing. Yeah. It's a good Instagram I'll, meme. I will say I wish this could be my Groundhog Day. Yeah. I would do this day over and over and over and over again. Yeah. No, that's a great movie. Yeah. All right. Favorite Rodney Dangerfield movie? Oh, Caddy. I mean, I loved Caddyshack. Yeah. That was just, I mean, I, I felt like that for me, when I think of Rodney, that's who I think about, Caddyshack. Yeah. I think, I mean, for him, it's really two movies for me. It's uh, Caddyshack and Back to School. Yeah, Back to School is great. Yeah. Caddyshack's going to be 40 years old next year. Wow, that's crazy. 40 years old. And the thing about it is, is I just think of all the great movies that came out in the the year of 1980, because you had the Blues Brothers, which is one of my favorites, and Airplane came out in 1980. Yes. And of course, you had Caddyshack, but Caddyshack was one of these movies that it wasn't a huge uh, revenue maker when it came out. I mean, because the Blues Brothers brought in more money and stuff. But over the years, of course, it's become a huge iconic movie with all the great lines. But, man, Rodney Dangerfield coming in there and the lines there, it's just – it was just great. And, of course, a lot of the lines now are so so politically incorrect you can't even Oh, yeah. They wouldn't even make it on the air anymore. Yeah. It was interesting. I was looking back at some of the comedians from back in the day, like when we were growing up in the 80s, and, like – because Eddie Murphy's talking about going back out on stand-up, which I think is going to be fantastic. They were asking him about Eddie Murphy Raw, and he was, like, saying, I couldn't do that today. No, you couldn't and, do that today. you know, like your Andrew Dice Clays and yes. Sam Kinnison. Wow. I mean, you can't – you couldn't no, do you, it. Mm-hmm. Jerry Seinfeld was saying you couldn't even do Seinfeld today because with the way of technology and um, – phones and texting and stuff he's like there'd really be no reason for kramer to come hopping through the door right to yes. say hi he had texted me he texted me yeah anyway times are a change all right well being from tennessee being from the south one of the things that is ingrained in being a southerner is a love of wrestling professional yes. wrestling so who are your favorite wrestlers of all time oh favorite wrestlers of ultimate warrior 
Hacksaw Jim Duggan. <laughs> yeah, he's still an active wrestler, I think. Let's bring my Union City roots back. Coco Beware. Yeah, he was from Union City. That's he was right. From Union City. Yep. Jake the Snake Roberts. Yep. Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Mm-hmm. And you can't not just Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair. Yep. Ah. Yeah, no, I loved it. In that Tennessee area, too, that was still, when we were growing up, were the territory days. Oh, yeah. Out of Memphis, you'd watch Jerry Lawler and all those guys. Austin Idol. My my best friend growing up and and teammate Robin Coode, who we we played all the way through college. He played at UT Martin, still one of the leading scorers in the state of Tennessee of all time, Minister Basketball finalist. And he was a huge wrestling fan. And we went to every dive national guard armory you name it to watch wrestling and the time when we were most disappointed we were probably in about the seventh or eighth grade and we we get to the national guard armory in tiptonville tennessee early right because you had to beat the grandmas with the canes and that chewed tobacco that we're going to fight <laughs> for that front row seat right maybe they were in the undercard we get there this big Cadillac pulls up and out steps Dusty Rhodes and Jerry Lawler. Well, at first of all, we were excited. We're like, it's Dusty Rhodes and Jerry Lawler. And then we realized they rode to the match together and they were supposed to be the, you know, the main event, you know, fighting each other at the end. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. No, back in the day, you always thought, I mean, I always thought wrestling was real growing up and everything. Yeah. And you'd have Ric Flair get on and, Cause oh, I always yeah, watch. I watched Saturday afternoon wrestling. Um, it was like that Georgia Championship wrestling. Then it became NWA, and it was like with Gordon Soley and Michael Hayes and the Freebirds with Terry Gordy. It had Tommy Wildfire, Rich, and then of course they became part of the Mid Atlantic area, and that was more Ric Flair, the Four Horsemen with Tully Blanchard and Arn yeah, Anderson. Oh, yeah. the Four Horsemen, great days. Yep. Great days. It was. I still watch wrestling today. but And I tell you what, if you just watch the wrestling today, I mean, just the athleticism. Oh, my gosh. It is unbelievable. They're doing these flips. Our wrestlers back there, you know, Dusty Rose wasn't – he wasn't quite cut the same way as some of these wrestlers today. No, he wasn't. I mean, <laughs> really, I mean, most of the wrestlers, they were, were big. But you talked about the wrestlers who got just ripped. I mean, yes. I remember – Paul Orndorff, Mr. Wonderful, Ravishing Rick Rude. I love Kerry Von Erich, who was with the, yep. the Dallas Wrestling Ultimate Warrior. But they Warrior. were kind of the exception. That wasn't the overall theme. No, but now, you no, know, everyone's ripped. ripped. But yep. the thing is, is the aerial stuff that they do, too. It's oh, just yeah, amazing. It's and just the women. Amazing. The women, I'm telling you, the the WWE women's division, I mean, some of the matches they put on, they're they're better than the guys. Right. So, all right. Well, that's another episode that, shoot, I could talk wrestling all day. Mm-hmm. So, when you're driving down the road alone and you're not listening to my podcast, what song do you secretly rock out to on full blast? I love all kinds of music. Well, name multiple ones in. What's that? You can name multiple name songs. Multiple. I mean, I just love multiple genres. I love You're not going to say Yanni, are you? Okay. What's that? You're not going to say Yanni, are you? No, not okay. yet. I mean... I, uh, I, I'm not afraid to throw in a little Kenny G. Oh my gosh! <laughs> no, what is uh, this? <laughs> but, this is not living uh, the dream. 
<laughs> I love U2. U2 is big for me. I uh, enjoy like acoustic kind of raspy music. What would it be? The Indigo Girls or <laughs> it's funny. One time I was uh, doing some meetings in New York and one of my friends was with, with, with me and the Indigo Girls were playing at Radio City Music Hall. And so I said to my buddy, Mike, Mike Marcotte, let's get tickets and let's go watch the Indigo Girls. So we go straight from our meetings to the, and if you know anything about the Indigo Girls, I'm probably not a representation of their average fan base. Yeah, I didn't and think so. And uh, so we're, we're standing there and finally there are these ladies standing in front of us and they turn around and they're like, are you guys security? <laughs> and we're like, no, we're, we're just fans. We're just enjoying the, just enjoying the show. So I like the Indigo girls, you know, from my basketball days, I like a lot of hip hop music. I mean, I grew up with Tupac and Snoop and I try to find the edited versions, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I, I enjoy a lot of different types uh, of music. Yeah. You know, I actually got to correct something I said on a, an earlier podcast, because, of course, in the mid 90s with hip hop, which I know very little of hip hop, which is probably what one would expect coming from Western Kentucky. Well, that was me. That was me. I wouldn't have either had it not been for yeah. you know basketball and, you know, being in that culture. Yeah. It has been like close to 25 years from when um, Tupac Shakur and Biggie got murdered. Yeah, it hasn't been 25 yeah. years yet. I thought it had been 25 years since Biggie got it's murdered. Getting close. We're about two or three years away, I think. Yeah, because I was incorrect in that technically Tupac got murdered before Biggie got murdered. But right. that right. was some wild times right there. Yeah, it was. So, it was. All right. So you're living in Nashville, one of these uh, you know thriving cities. What are some of the hot spots in Nashville? For people you know, who want to go check you know, it out. You know, Ben, I wish I could tell you. I used to could tell you. Mm-hmm. However, now I'm in just a, such a different season of life. And we're, we actually live, my office is in Franklin. We live, you know, five miles from here in Thompson Station, Spring Hill. And we never go to Nashville. I lived in Union City. We would drive three hours to go to Nashville just for dinner. And mm-hmm. now it's too far. You know, Nashville has got so much going, but also down here where we're at, it's growing so fast. Downtown Franklin is one of my favorite places on the planet. Mm -hmm. And so we have so many great restaurants and music and things just right here in our neighborhood. And especially with kids, you know, if we have a sitter with four kids, we... You know, we usually don't like to be too far away because you never know when somebody's going to be puking or something and you need to get home uh, (laughs) right away. And so there are so many new great things in Nashville Mm -hmm. that I would not do justice if I started naming off some things because a lot of the things I'm familiar with are some of the more old establishment stuff. But there's a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. Well, I do know in Nashville... They've got a lot of development going down there for condos that are downtown with a walking distance. Hotels, and condos. These and they're building in this concept that I really like of the rooftop pools yes, or lounges rooftop and stuff. Pool and bar and, and yeah. Well that is interesting though to hear about the downtown of Franklin because uh, like where we grew up, you know, most of the the areas they had a thriving downtown back in the day and then of course as suburbia happened then everything left the downtown and you didn't have thriving court squares and stuff a lot of towns are trying to bring that back i know 
I haven't Franklin's been to downtown Murray in a while, but I, I know downtown Murray was trying to do a lot of that. Franklin has done it. They and, and Columbia, which is south of here now, is the next emerging. They're really doing some cool things there. Yeah. Well, that's good, though, I mean, because you don't want the small towns to, no. to dry up and, and to thrive. Yeah. All right. So uh, since you said you're a big foodie here, if you could have dinner with three people other than your family and, of course, me, who would you pick? Oh, that is a that is a great and tough question. That's why I'm a good host. I ask the tough questions. You are you are a really good host. I, I think to answer that question, I would have to look at who are some of the just looking at different aspects of my life. Who are people that I've looked up to at different phases? And so right away, I think Larry Bird. Mm-hmm. I've never met Larry Bird. You know, I think about today and my kids. I'm, I'm, how did it, we never, you know, Boston was the other side of the world. They might have been playing, might as well have been playing in China when you grow up in Troy and that's Boston. Well, now the world is so much smaller. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's not anything to think about. Hey, let's go watch Larry Bird play. But for me then, I mean, that just, that, that wasn't even on the radar. So I would love to have dinner with Larry Bird. Charles Stanley. Uh, I don't know if you know who Charles Stanley is. The, the, um, the preacher? Yeah, the okay. pastor out of Atlanta. I, my grandmother introduced me to Charles Stanley when I lived in Atlanta. That's where I went to church. I actually have cruised with him to Alaska a couple of times back in my single days when I was just looking for a break. But I've never had the opportunity to just, I've met him a few times, but to just have dinner with him, I haven't had that opportunity. This is going to be another one where you you're probably going to hang up on me. All right, is this going to be how we host the, close well, I, the show here? Well, I'm, I'm just bracing for the impact. Coach K. No, I, I don't have a problem with that. Okay, I don't have a problem uh, with that. I hate late. I, I hate Leitner, but I, yeah. <laughs> well, and my last game at Murray State was against Coach K. I yeah. got to play against Dean Smith and Coach K while I was there, which was a great honor. Thirty years later, looking back. 25 years later, coach K while everybody think like, you know, you think about him as a coach. I love listening to his interviews as well as anything. I mean, he just throws out a lot of pearls of wisdom and uh, he'd be someone I think would be interesting to have dinner with. Yeah. Well, I'll say this for coach K. The reason why I don't detest him like Leitner at least is, you know, after that Duke Kentucky Epic game in 1992, after Leitner hit the shot and, Kentucky won. That was the last game that Kaywood led for the legendary announcer for University of Kentucky basketball was calling. And um, I mean, bottom line, Coach K knew he got away with one because Leitner shouldn't have been in the game, in my opinion. You know, when I was talking with Jamal Mashburn, he he was glad that Leitner was in because he was like, "Hey, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I want." I, I totally agreed with him when he said that. There would have always been an asterisk. Yeah, but see, I I still take the win, but. That's just my perspective as, as a fan. <laughs> I'm right there with you, Ben. I, I agree. But um, in the game, that would beat me. Yeah. With Coach K, he came over and talked to the Kentucky fans and, um, you know, told them what a great season the team had and how they should be so proud. Thank K. Wood. So I thought it was a real class act. And, you know, if you think about with what Coach K has done at Duke, I mean, it's really remarkable because of the academic requirements to get into Duke. Now, I mean, it's tough to get in there, but he's always 
put together good quality teams. Now he's doing the one and done thing like right. Calipari, which you know I kind of hate that system, right. but it, it is yeah, what it I don't is. Like it either. Yeah. You know, it's kind of hard to blame the guys for turning down that kind of money. But I, I interviewed a uh, Derek Anderson who played at Kentucky, and he had some interesting thoughts on it too. And he was like, you know, he likes it when guys can stay and develop more because they're more complete product going into the NBA. Right, right. So interesting takes on that. You know, with Coach K and what he's done with USA Basketball, with the Olympic teams and stuff, I mean, he's been able to coach the college guys. He gets the respect of the NBA guys. He hasn't been caught by the NCAA, which we all know that probably they're not ever going to catch Duke for anything. Right, right. But in all fairness, though, I mean, you know, Kansas got nailed on on some stuff. So I I think – He's someone that, regardless of how much you hate Duke basketball, deep down you have to respect what he's done. Right. And well, so so since since you didn't hang up on me with that, let, let, let's close with this because this is one, and I, I, I wish I knew the ball game. I wish I knew the interview, but this was after I was finished at Murray State. I was in a different season of life. I remember walking in a restaurant somewhere and the game was playing and Duke had gotten beaten. I, I mean, you're good at remembering all those things. I just remember they got beat and that's all. I, uh, and, but you know, so he's in his post game interview, the reporters asking him about, you know, what it was like, you know, why his team underperformed or what didn't meet certain expectations or what, whatever. And his answer was something to the effect of, he said, well, let me tell you this. I learned long ago never to allow someone else to determine my successes and failures in life. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, that was a very powerful statement. Yeah. And so when you talk about living the dream and I'm trying to help people live life well, it's about you know understanding who you are what you represent, what's important to you, and never allowing anyone to else to define what your successes and failures are because it is actually some of those biggest setbacks that develop you. That's where that's where growth happens in the resistance. It is mm-hmm. those difficulties, those hardships, those pain pains that put you to the test. Do you step up to your greatness greatness or do you default to your weaknesses? And yeah. Well, and since I, as a Kentucky fan, I cannot end a show on a, a principal from Coach K. I just, I just can't do it. We're, we're going to transition. So what you got? What you got? We're going to transition to Michael Jordan, where you know that kind of principal. I think of the Michael Jordan teams, kind of growing up because um, you know he came in with those Bulls teams with Charles Oakley, and then Oakley got traded to the Knicks, and they brought in uh, Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant and right. all that, but. They, they would always run into the Boston Celtics with Larry Bird and Kevin McHale and Parrish. Then, DJ, don't forget DJ. Yeah, when Danny Ainge, Dennis yep. Johnson, Bill Walton was on that team in 86. Yeah. You know, So they were always the stumbling block. But then like the Pistons had to get over Boston, and then the Pistons had their run. And so Jordan then had to get over the Pistons and Bill Lambeer and get knocked down and all that right. stuff. And then when the Pistons kind of had their run, then – Jordan had his run with the Bulls, but I remember him always saying that he learned so much from, you know, trying to get to the mountaintop and getting knocked down, and he was coming back stronger and coming back stronger, and finally, you know, he got to where he was, 
you know, just a, a great champion and continued to grow when it could have oh, been yes. easy to say, you know what, I'm not going to continue the drive, but he always had that tenacious drive. And, yeah. you know, that's one thing if you're going to succeed. And I, I guess kind of going back to Coach K a little bit, though, too, one thing I will give Coach K credit for is Lord knows how many NBA opportunities he has gotten and how many times he has turned down that offer because right. he knows he has a good spot at Duke and right. he became comfortable with that and was like, this is where I want to be. And right. he was happy with that. And and I think sometimes people, and I can be this way too, you're always thinking I got to do better. I got to continue to grow, grow, grow. And you have right. to grow, but sometimes you realize that where you are right now is the right place to be and you need to grow within yourself. Right. Yes. Sometimes that growth is just how do I do it better? Yeah. So, not, not, not necessarily how do I do it bigger, How do I? but how do I become a better version of myself? Right. And I think the other thing too with Coach K is, um, you know, he knows – that I mean, he had he had a couple of bad years at Duke too, when he had like the back yes. surgeries and stuff. But he didn't get fired, and you know, right. and the way it is now in college sports and pro sports, you have a couple of bad years and you're out. Right. And he knows he has a comfort level there, and so right, yes, you know, there's a lot of solace in that. But Michael Jordan, we're going to finish on on Jordan and continuing to to, uh, he to was, grow. And, and the thing about Jordan, what just what you're talking about, becoming a better version of yourself. There were a lot of great players and have been a lot of great players. But the thing about Jordan is he was great every night. Yeah. It was that consistency of greatness that made him so spectacular. Well, you know, when you're getting all the calls, it's it's bound to happen. <laughs> Just kidding. No, it kind of goes well, with ben, the territory. Thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. It was great going down memory lane. It was great. You know, just exploring ideas about how we can make our life better and how that to appreciate that win never gets here. If you're not living the dream right now, you're not going to live the dream because it's still going to be you whenever you get to wherever it is you think the dream is. Right. Yeah. And it's one of those things you've got to also have your mindset that you you got to be committed to do what you know what you need to do to get things right, whether it's in your health, yes. you know, mental, physical health, mental health, job, uh, relationship. And, it's a, and this is the other thing with it, Ben, just like what you're talking about. It's a journey that's with us as long as we're here. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I tell you what, I, I kept you on longer than I thought, so I want to go ahead and close. But before I close, you know, I want to mention to the guests again that they can follow you online at www dot barry farms chiropractic.com and barry is b-e-r-r-y and also on youtube at barry farms chiropractic so if you're in the nashville area stop by and see matt and the other thing too is even if you're not in the nashville area they can still reach out to you for consultations or stuff oh, or if they need a referral yeah. let's say a referral in miami or atlanta or something you might know somebody because the worst thing is to go to some doctor that you don't know anything about right yes mm-hmm. so well i appreciate and if you, you made a good real estate attorney i could probably recommend one too yeah well see i can't take outside clients now so i can refer oh, one I got to you. so all right well i appreciate you coming on i'll let you go i know you gotta get back to the wife and the kids thanks for taking the time out to come on the show i appreciate it thanks again for having me ben all right take care all right yes, see sir. you right, bye bye
I really appreciate Matt coming on the show. You know, it was uh, great catching up with him and, uh, of course, talking sports uh, and wrestling. As you guys know, once I start talking sports and wrestling and Seinfeld especially, I can go for a while. You know, that's kind of how it is when two friends get together, and especially when they're Southern boys, we start talking and we start rolling for a while. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed the the message today, talking about health and wellness and um, things that we should all keep in mind in our lives you know, it's it's easy to get into that routine where you're going 100 miles an hour at your job or uh, with your family and all your extracurricular activities, and you feel like you've got to do all this stuff, and you neglect to take time out for yourself, and you you don't stretch like you're supposed to, and you don't eat like you're supposed to, and all of a sudden, it's just a, a cycle that continues and becomes a habit. And then all of a sudden you look back and you're like, how did I get in this shape? Or what can I do to fix it? And sometimes the fix is something dramatic that could be remedied if you just stay on course over time. So I know I have to uh, follow this a lot, and uh, especially with my job as a lawyer, it's always having to stretch, always having to stretch before my ball games and after. I'm I'm not 20 anymore. I'm, I'm 42. Because I just don't see living the dream as being a life where you're in back pain or you're in neck pain or you're not fit. That just doesn't work for me. With all the information we have out there and the tools through chiropractors and health and wellness and physical trainers, you can have that life too if you want it. So I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Again, uh, thanks for listening and appreciate all the support you guys are giving to us during this podcast series. So thanks and have a great evening. Thanks for listening to this episode. Find us online at benandrodney.com and follow us on Instagram at benwilsonmiami.com.